Before our kids were born, Jen and I lived in Britain for two years, and we learned that uh, what you don't know as a foreigner can actually make you look pretty silly. Uh, for instance, I didn't know that in Britain, what we would call pants, the British call trousers, and what we would call ladies' underwear, the British call pants. And armed with this ignorance, Jen and I uh, went to a proper British church one December morning where the topic in the fellowship hall was, what did you give your spouse for Christmas? And didn't I go around telling everybody that for Christmas I took my wife out and bought her some pants and you should see her in her new pants. And in fact, she's wearing her new pants right now. And I had no idea why everyone looked so uncomfortable until I found out that I was talking about underwear. And while they were shrinking away, I kept saying, honey, come on over and show me your new pants. <laughs> and uh, a little less embarrassing was my confusion over these huge stores called uh, uh, in Britain called Dai. And I would give directions to our home by telling people we lived near the Dai until eventually some Britisher stopped me and said, uh, are you talking about the building materials warehouse? And uh, that's called a DIY, and it stands for do it yourself. And I was like, well, thanks a lot, smarty trousers. And it turns out that DIY was uh, the British version of our Home Depot. But you already knew that DIY is the abbreviation for do-it-yourself because in the past, so oh, 15 years or so, uh, this terminology has become uh, rather common and it's uh, common to see on television shows, DIY uh, shows about how to fix your house by doing it yourself. Well, today we're going to take instruction from Scripture on some improvements to your home life that you can do yourself. In his letter to the Ephesians, the Apostle Paul gives instructions on three do-it-yourself Projects that will add peace and beauty to your home. And the first DIY project is tear down some walls. Uh, please turn your Bibles to the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, uh, verse 14. And we're going to start our tour through Paul's letter to the Ephesian church by considering his words about what Jesus thinks about walls in families. And in this case, it's the wall between Jews and Gentiles in the family of God. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14. Jesus himself is our peace who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. Now page down to Ephesians chapter 4, beginning at uh, verse 26. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. Now finally skip down to verse 31 of chapter 4. Get rid of all bitterness. Tear down all the walls of rage and anger and brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. If you want to radically improve your home, 
Your first do-it-yourself project must be tearing down any wall of hostility that stands between you and another member of your family. Some homes represented uh, among those listening to me now have hot and cold running anger. You've got hot anger expressed in a lot of screaming and yelling and door slamming and name calling, but not everyone. Some of us here have cold anger expressed in icy silence and frigid avoidance and emotional distance and sub-zero resentment. But hot or cold, the result of this hostility is the same. Walls go up. And the family sinks into an exhausting, frustrating state of tension. And behind every angry family is the same cause. Anger is always caused by unresolved hurt over some unhealed wound. In every family, people get hurt. Uh, Spouses hurt each other. Parents hurt each other. Children hurt each other. A successful family is not one in which no one ever gets hurt or have their feelings wounded. No, feelings will get wounded, and these wounds will produce anger. The mark of the healthy family is not that there is no anger. Instead, a successful family is marked by the ability to process hurt and anger in a way that results in swift healing and what the social scientists call positive emotional reattachment. And like so many other areas, the healing ability of a family is modeled by the parents to the children. You see, fighting between a husband and wife is not always negative. Now, lots of unresolved hot fighting between parents is unhealthy. Lots of unresolved frigid anger between parents is unhealthy. But parents who fight and then resolve and make peace, this can be a positive and healthy model for children because when kids see mom and dad use peacemaking skills, they see how they too can quickly emotionally reconnect uh, when there are disagreements. That's a positive model for kids. The negative model for children is a mom and dad who are always stepping at each other with no signs of resolution. The negative model is a mom and a dad who give each other the cold shoulder or the silent treatment. The negative model is a mom and dad who let hurts linger and let walls of emotional detachment grow between them. Husbands and wives, your number one DIY home improvement project must be to tear down the walls of hostility in your marriage by taking the time to process the hurt and anger in a way that leads to healing. After studying hundreds of marriages, research psychologist Dr. John Gottman has concluded that the most important ingredient to successful marriages and successful families is a husband and wife 
who take the time and expend the effort to work through their conflicts in a way that leads them past anger and over to positive emotional reattachments. But sadly, many couples don't do this work of tearing down the walls. Many slip into the same wall-building patterns over and over. This is so common that Dr. Gottman uh, and other researchers have identified a typical anger cycle that tends to trap a high percentage of married couples. According to the research, the anger cycle typically starts with a wife with unmet emotional needs for affection from her husband. This wife craves expressions of love and tenderness from her husband, but when her husband doesn't respond with the affection that she craves, she experiences a kind of hurt, and that leads to anger. Yet in this typical anger cycle, the husband is unaware that he is not meeting his wife's needs. And he also tends to miss or ignore the hinting expressions of the wife's hurt and anger. Until finally the wife gets sick and tired of dropping hints and she explodes with a a frustration that sounds to the husband like she's picking a fight with him and accusing him of being a failure. Now, when the wife explodes with this emotion, what she wants is for her husband to uh, respond by drawing her clothes and saying, I didn't realize that I, I hurt you. Please come here and let me hold you. And I want to meet your needs. Uh, just tell me how I can love you more and better. But what what the women don't understand is that their explosion of frustration and anger leads men to react in the opposite way. When a husband feels his wife's uh, anger and frustration toward him, he feels attacked and hurt in a way that violates his emotional need for respect and fills him with anger that makes him want to counterattack or more commonly to withdraw emotionally or physically and actually close down or even leave the room. And nothing hurts the wife more than seeing the back of her husband's head in this situation. And so she goes after him with even more anger, which closes, uh, which closes him down even more. And she continues to go at him thinking that if she can give him one more lecture, he'll finally understand, but he doesn't understand. And the angrier she gets because of the lack of affection, the angrier he gets and he retreats more and more. And this is the anger cycle that researchers see over and over and over again. And the only way that this cycle can be broken is for either the husband or the wife or both to sit down And uh, actually look toward uh, trying to understand instead of trying to be understood. Both husbands and wives have needs that they desperately want their spouse to satisfy. 
And both husbands and wives feel hurt and angry when their spouse fails to meet their needs. So the key to a successful marriage is to work at expressing what you need from your spouse in a gentle way, non-accusing way, and that your spouse can understand while also being intentional about understanding and meeting your spouse's need. The key is to put your needs aside long enough to focus on your spouse in order to understand and how to meet your spouse's need. This brings down the walls. And when mom and dad engage in the home improvement task of tearing down their walls, the children then also grow in their ability to express their hurts in ways that quickly move toward resolution and positive emotional reattachment. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 25, Jesus says, A household that is divided against itself cannot stand. So your first do-it-yourself home improvement project is to tear down some walls. Your second DIY project is to build someone up. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, so that it may benefit those who listen. And then now chapter 5, verse 2. And live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Only God knows how beautiful your home can become if you get serious about the DIY project of building up with acts of love. Notice that the project is acting in love. It is great to have feelings of love for your family members, but Feelings, uh, loving feelings do very little to build up and improve your home. To build up your spouse, to build up your children, to build up your parents or your siblings, uh, you must love with observable actions. Verse 29 of, uh, of Ephesians 4 mentions the first act of love, the act of encouraging speech. Not too long ago, I saw an interview with uh, Paul Simon of Simon and Garfunkel fame. Uh, but of course, Simon has gone on to uh, go to a long solo career. In fact, Paul Simon has won more Grammy Awards than any other performer in history. And he lives and he still records in our neighborhood here in Connecticut. The interviewer uh, asked uh, why he is so self-critical, uh, self-doubting, and dissatisfied with himself. And Simon said, without a doubt, it's because of my father. Uh, he went on to describe how his father never acknowledged his success in the music field. He never said, hey, Paul, uh, you're all right. Uh, finally, at the age of 50, uh, Paul Simon confronted his father and said, my music, it's pretty good, right? I mean, I mean, most people don't see this level of success. Uh, what do you think about me? Uh, am I a good son? 
And at this point in the interview, Paul Simon uh, began to cry. And for a while, he couldn't go on. And you see, the sad truth is that uh, you can be 50 plus. uh, You can have fame, Grammy Awards and all the rest. But the most important thing, you cannot buy. You can't beg for it. You can't steal. It can only be given as a gift. Moms and dads, the most precious gift you can give to your children is the expression of your approval. Don't make them beg. Don't make them beg like like Paul Simon had to do. Build them up by showering them with approval as an act of love. Over the course of... uh, their 11 years, uh, I've said a little phrase that has become very uh, familiar to my kids. Uh, when I tuck them to bed uh, to Parker, I say, Parker, you know what? If I could line up all the boys in the world and pick just one to be my son, I would choose you. Then I go into Kaylee's room and I say, you know what? If I could line up all the girls in the world and just pick one to be my daughter, I would choose you. And sometimes when I say this, uh, they laugh because they know what's coming. Uh, Other times they say, why would you pick me? And it gives me an opportunity to tell them why I love them so much. And then sometimes, you know what they say? They say, you know, Dad, if I could line up all the daddies in the world... See, family members need to do this for each other. They need to give each other the gift of expressed approval. Besides expressing approval to your spouse or your children or your your brother, your sister, there is an endless list of loving acts that will build up the members of your home. But the truth is, everyone is different when it comes to the acts that most say, I love you. Loving your family is a simple process that begins with observing the individual love language of each family member. According to Dr. Gary Chapman, uh, there, is, there are at least five love languages common to people. The first, uh, there is the love language of acts of service. Uh, A family member with this love language won't really feel loved by you unless you go out of your way to help him or her. Then there is the love language of gift giving. And this person feels most loved when they are given some kind of a symbol or tangible expression of your love. Then there is quality time as a love language, and this person feels most loved when you spend time with him or her and do something together. Uh, And the last two love languages are physical touch, and then there's verbal affirmation, which we've already talked about. And so the first step is to study your family members to know their primary love language, or just ask them. Uh, Either way, find ways to communicate in all the love languages, but give special emphasis to each family member's primary love language. Now, I realize some of you are saying, I can't do this. I can't do acts of love for my spouse or my sibling or my parent or my kid because the truth is I have been so hurt that I do not feel any love 
for this family member. Well, let me just share with you the results of a groundbreaking study. Uh, Dr. Uh, Richard Stewart, a psychologist, took a large sample of married couples who scored lowest, the lowest ranking possible in marital affection toward each other. And he asked each spouse to write a list of 10 tasks uh, that uh, their partner could perform that would say to them, I love you as an act of love. And he told each spouse to sit down and write down 10 acts that their husband or wife could do that would say, I love you. Then Dr. Stewart uh, told these partners who had no feeling of love for each other to just exchange their lists and perform one love act on the list every day for two weeks. Guess what happened? After just two weeks, every single couple reported exponential increases in their affection for each other. The most surprising part of the study was how much affection increased in the spouse who was performing the acts of love. The spouse who was giving the back rub or writing the card or giving the flowers actually felt more affection in the act of loving than in the receiving. Researchers found that there is something about acting in love that actually produces feelings of love. Remember, these were all spouses who scored the lowest in marital affection. These were couples who did not feel any love, anything positive toward each other. They didn't feel like showing love, but they just did it. And the more they showed love to their family member, the more they felt love for their family member. Jesus says in Luke chapter 6, Love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting return, and your reward will be great. If Jesus thinks it's possible for you to love your enemies, then it must be possible to love a difficult member in your family. So your second do-it-yourself project is to build up someone with acts of love. The third DIY home improvement project is to fill in the cracks. Here we go back to the words we read in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. Paul says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Every home has its cracks. Every family has stress cracks. Uh, those cracks need to be filled in with forgiveness. It has been said that the most successful marriages uh, do not consist of two great lovers as much as two fantastic forgivers. And what is true about successful marriage is equally true when it comes to successful families. The healthiest families are comprised of members who have learned how to quickly and completely forgive. Forgiveness is one of those things that it's very easy to praise, but very hard to practice. Our family members can hurt us uh, in ways that are so deep that forgiveness can seem impossible. 
Uh, not long ago, I was introduced to a guy named Dewey Bertolini, and uh, he shared his story with me, and I'd like to pass it on to you. Um, every kid grows up uh, wanting something he can't have, uh, and that thing becomes that kid's biggest dream. Uh, for most kids, the dream is to go to the moon or play for the Yankees. But for Dewey Bertolini, uh, he says that his childhood dream was just to have his father's chest swell with pride and ha- have him say to someone, this is my son. Bertolini dreamed of having a father's approval, but it was an impossible dream because starting at age four, uh, Dewey's dad made it clear that he considered his son a failure. Mr. Bernalini wanted a star athlete, but Dewey was uh, short for his age, skinny and uncoordinated. And Dewey's dad didn't uh, spend time playing sports with him. Instead, he just signed him up for baseball and basketball leagues and then berated his son when he struck out and flubbed up plays. Dewey said that the worst day of his life was the day his dad threw him in the car, drove him to the park, sat him in the stands, and told him to watch a group of men playing softball and yelled loud enough for people to hear, Why can't you play like them? Why do you have to be so clumsy? You're a loser. That's all you are. And this went on for Dewey until he was age 16 and his parents got a divorce and filled with hatred and rage. Dewey decided that from that day on, he would never see and never talk to his dad again. So for years, when his father called, he hung up. When his father wrote, he sent the letter back. Dewey cut the man who called him a failure out of his life. But it didn't change the fact that he felt like a failure. Bertolini said that every day uh, he woke up and he looked in the mirror and saw the face of a failure. He brushed the teeth of a failure. This continued until one day, about five years later, someone told him about Jesus and how Jesus loves losers. And that we're all losers uh, when we're separated from God and overwhelmed by God's father love. Uh, Dewey Bertolini bowed his knee and he received God's forgiveness through his faith in what Jesus did on the cross. And soon after becoming a Christ follower, Dewey um, coincidentally found out where his father lived. And uh, after a hard struggle with God, uh, he went to his father and overjoyed to see his son. His father stuck out his hand. And at first, Dewey didn't want to shake that hand, but when he did, Bertolini says that God did a miracle. Starting the moment that their hands touched, Dewey sensed God draining away all the hatred and the bitterness he had for his father. And he sensed God replacing his old anger with a new compassion for his dad. And then a few weeks after their reunion, uh, Bertolini got word that his dad had a heart attack and was uh, in the hospital recovering from triple bypass. And when he got to the intensive care unit, uh, Dewey uh, saw his dad with wires and tubes going in and out of his body. And when his dad saw him, uh, his eyes widened. And he began to frantically search for the nurse call button. And when he found it, he began to push the button over and over and over again. And nurses and orderlies came running from all over the hospital. And when they were all in the room, uh, Dewey says that his childhood dream came true. 
He saw his dad's chest swell with pride and gasping for breath. He said for everyone to hear, this is my son. His dad had a full recovery and Dewey Bertolini loves telling people how a relationship with Jesus gives you the power to reach out and forgive and to love your family members in ways that are impossible without God in your life. You see, home improvement in the deepest sense cannot be a DIY project. You cannot really do it yourself. Now, it's true that this home improvement uh, begins when you take responsibility for yourself and what you can do to make your home a better place. But if you really want to see lasting peace and beauty in your family, it cannot end up as a do-it-yourself project. Because you don't have the power in yourself to tear down all the walls of anger. You don't have the power in yourself to continually build up with loving acts. You don't have the power in yourself to fill in all the cracks with forgiveness. You don't have the power, but God does. And God will give you the power you need to bring real improvement into your home when you draw upon a daily relationship with Him. A relationship that begins with uh, coming to God and saying something like, God, I need you. God, you have a perfect vision for what my home can become. And I know you can uh, fill me with your spirit in order to make me a part of improving my home. So fill me with your love. Live through me, Jesus, in a way that brings real improvement to my home. And if you have never prayed a prayer like that, I encourage you to do that even now before you leave. Because you can have home improvement that you've been dreaming of, but you can't do it yourself. Would you please stand now as we close?